0: Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Let me set the record straight. Working on the introductions for the women who so graciously agree to be interviewed for this podcast is no easy feat. Case in point, Andrea Grody, my guest today. Her credits are endless,
1: and she's young.
0: Okay, for Andrea, it's all about music. She's a music director, arranger, and composer. She's the music director, supervisor, vocal, and incidental arranger. Huh? Incidental? Got to find that out. For the Broadway hit adaptation of Tootsie. She held the same titles for The Band's Visit, which garnered 10 Tony Awards. Andrea Music directed the world premiere of As You Like It at the Delacorte Theater in New York City, Central Park. Her talent and expertise have taken her around the country and include Associate Music Director for the world premieres of The Fortress of Solitude at the Dallas Public Theater, Unknown Soldier at the Williamstown Theater Festival, White Christmas, and Songs for New World at Northern Stage in Vermont. Oh, there's more, but that's going to have to do for now. We come to her writing credits, among them Strange Faces, a full-length musical, and several songs for the Civilian's Let Me Ascertain You series, which have been performed at Manhattan's Metropolitan Museum of Art, among other venues. She's also the resident music director and senior voice teacher at New York Vocal Coaching. Andrea graduated summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa from Princeton University, where she majored in music, minored in theater. She has a master's with the highest honors in musical theater music directing from the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. Andrea, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Does it ever give you pause when you hear this about you, even though it's part of
1: your DNA? It's a little funny to hear so many credits because I don't feel like I've been here that long and I've been busy, (laughs) but there is something funny about just listing off the name of a show. It doesn't have... The experience that came with it, the people who are involved, my understanding of my career is not a list of shows, but a series of experiences with people.
0: Right. I mean, and and it's like a resume, you know, date and and of employment and back and forth. So let's go, which I like to do
1: with people, particularly who are so creative.
0: Back in time, were you born musical?
1: I think I was. I've always done music. Mm-hmm. My brother and I would make up songs in the car. The game was one of us would give the other a word, and we'd have to write a song about it. Ah. Did you just
0: sing, or were you also given music lessons at a young age? I
1: started playing piano when I was very young. By the time I finished elementary school, I had studied piano, violin, viola, and euphonium. Oh, wow. I don't play all of those instruments now. Or at, but at one time. <laughs> I've gone back and forth between a few. Piano has been constant. I've always sung, and I've always written. So even at a young age, it spoke
0: to you? Yes. The music. And when you got older, but before you got to college, were you very involved in helping to put on musical performances, plays, shows?
1: I was. I realized when I started pursuing music directing as a career that I'd actually been doing it for a long time.
0: Unbeknownst to you, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: I never had thought about it. But I did theater camp when I was, you know, 10 to 13 or so. And I wanted to be an actress, I think, like many young Mm -hmm. kids do, Mm -hmm. but I was often on the music side as well, playing piano or teaching or writing something. And then I went to composition camp. I wanted to be a film composer when I started college.
0: Ah. You know, it's interesting that you went to Princeton. Does it have
1: a very, very strong musical? Princeton actually has a very strong composition program, and Ah. that's one of the main reasons I went there. I went in wanting to be a film composer. That was my goal at the beginning. I Early concentrated in music. So I declared my major at the end of my freshman year instead of the end of my sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I spent the summer after freshman year in Los Angeles working for a film composer and at a production company. And I learned that film composing is very solitary. Uh-huh. A lot of the day to day is not being in a studio with an orchestra, as you might imagine. Yeah, but right. being alone in a room with a computer. And that does not appeal to me as much as being in a room with people making something. So So.
0: you decided to go on a different path. I
1: did. And I spent about two months not knowing what to do with myself. Mm -hmm. But you were still in
0: school, though, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I was a
1: sophomore, and I didn't have a plan anymore and spent two months trying to figure out a different plan. Did
0: that bother you that you didn't have a plan? Yes. Uh, So you're kind of a very focused person, in other words. I tend to have plans. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) They can change, but they exist. Mm -hmm. So then what made you switch and what did you switch to then?
1: I wish I could remember the moment where I decided <laughs> well, you to had pursue that music directing. Mm-hmm. But what I first remember was looking for a summer stock job. But I decided that was something that I wanted to see if I could do. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Sophomore year of college was when I decided to pursue music directing. In my freshman year of college, I met Michael Friedman, who— Wrote Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, was a composer for the Civilians for a long time. He Mm -hmm. taught a class called Making Music Theater. And I said, music and theater in one class. Amazing. (laughs) So I took his class. I can consolidate. I fought to get into that class as a freshman because it hadn't been open to freshmen. But he knew someone I knew and there was room. So I got in. And then he came back my junior year with the Civilians to workshop a show they were working on called The Great Immensity. And it was taught through a class, so I was the music director of the workshop in the class. And we had other theater students and then science students because it was a show about climate change. So we all worked together on that. And then I said, I'm going to be in the city for the summer. Do you need an assistant for anything? And Michael said, sure. And that was the beginning of one of my most valuable professional relationships.
0: I need you to define something for me. What is a musical director? Because that's your credit for the two musicals that I listed. Is that the same thing as being a conductor?
1: It's a great question with a lot of complicated answers. Okay, I'm ready. The music director oversees how the music tells the story. Within the music department on a musical, there are a lot of small jobs. And generally on any musical... People do multiple jobs, and it depends on what the show is, which jobs they do. But that's why, for example, I have the longest credit of anybody on Tootsie. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that I did more things, but that the nature of a music department is that we all do multiple things. And it's very collaborative. Right. And it's just trying to figure out how to credit someone appropriately for the way that we all worked together. So
0: let's use me just as a for instance. I composed the score to—I'm going to make this up—to the— Silly, you know, to the silly show. The silly okay, show. Yep. and I'm working really hard, and I've got it all. What do you do after I've written this all this music?
1: A good comparison to this is a playwright saying, "I've written this play." Okay, and everything that happens between the playwright saying, "I've written this play," and you seeing it on stage, that's often what we think of the director doing. Exactly. So the composer says, "I've written this score." Everything between that moment and the production is what I do. I teach it to the singers. I lead the orchestra. But also that process involves saying, what is this piece of music? How should it be performed? What is most important about it? What vocal choices should we make? Is this the right key? I also was the vocal arranger for Tootsie. So what is the ensemble singing? Where do they sing? What harmonies do they sing? Who does what? Especially working with a choreographer. If they're dancing here, should we change where the cutoff is? The men are not singing this part, so the women have to sing. Does that mean that the notes they sing should change? If they're all singing together, but the key has to be higher because this person needs a different key, how do you make the melody audible while still putting the line in a place where the singers can feel comfortable making a strong sound? All of those questions are part of what I do, and that also goes a little bit into vocal arranging, which is figuring out what everybody is singing specifically. Because a composer may write a melody, but that doesn't mean that they know going into a show – What people are doing on stage, who the actor is, what key they want to be in, what vocal choices suit their voice, what suits the way the character and the story evolve over the course of the development of the show. Because the question is always, how do we tell the story? And that question doesn't have a straightforward answer at the beginning. Right. It has a couple ideas that get fleshed out bit by bit as a show is developed. But take somebody like
0: Steven Sondheim, with all these credits to his name. He can fill all those shoes, correct?
1: I think he can fill many of those shoes. I've never worked with him. Not that I'm saying that that you would be superfluous. I don't mean that. Yes. He can do many of those things, and you have a lot of composers who can. I've Uh never worked with him, so I can't say exactly what his relationship is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can imagine knowing his music and the way that he writes, that he has a lot of specifics laid out at the beginning. Right. Not all composers are like that, and it depends on who it is and how they like to work what that relationship is going to be. And David Yazbek happens to be a very collaborative writer. He's a comedy writer, so he's used to working with people, throwing around a lot of ideas, hearing what everyone has to say. And he's uh,
0: seminal for uh, Tootsie, yes. At some point, did you know that this is exactly the avenue that I want to pursue, that it seemed like such a natural act for you, this music directing?
1: I can't remember a particular moment where I said yes, this is the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. I wish I could. But I know at some point I had a moment of saying I would like to pursue this. And then at some point someone said, have you done it before? And I looked back and realized I'd actually been doing it my whole life. Unbeknownst to you again. Yes. What
0: politically was that like? Are you an anomaly
1: in, in this
0: business by being a female?
1: I don't feel I am anymore. But you were? I don't know if I ever felt that way. Mm-hmm. There are more men than women, but there are enough women that I never felt like an exception. Mm -hmm. I know that I am, and I know I have gotten work because I'm a woman, because people want to have a female music director. Oh, okay. Or they want to have a female member of their creative team, and the music director is the last person they hire. That has happened before.
0: There has been a little tokenism. Yes. I saw Tootsie with a group of people, and I really, I was just listening to the overture, not really focused on anything. And the person next to me jabbed me in the ribs and said, It's a female conductor. And I yelled out, No shit. Well, I mumbled it, you know. And then I sort of forgot about the music because I couldn't believe it, you know. And I'm much older than you are, and I go to a lot of theater, and that I think might have been a first for me.
1: Really? Yeah. I bet I could name some other shows that you've seen, though, that, that women have conducted. Try Spring me. Spring Awakening, The see Full that. Monty.
0: Yeah, I did see the Ed. Oh, okay. Tuck
1: Everlasting. Allegiance, The Prom. Okay. SpongeBob SquarePants. Be More Chill is happening right now with Emily Marshall. Waitress. I Okay, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't take name, it back. Okay. But what I think what you're pointing out that's also very important is visibility. The nice thing about Tootsie is not just that our band is open, but that I in particular am very visible. Our show has an overture. You can see my head. Yes. I have light colored hair and it bounces around a lot. Yes. The first thing a lot of people notice about Tootsie is that there is a woman standing at the front of the stage, which is fantastic because I think a lot of people just aren't given the opportunity to see the music department at all.
0: Yes, I guess it's just sort of a given. You know, you hear the music, you appreciate the music, but you certainly don't know what the backstory is. And that's why it's so exciting to have you here to explain all of that process. In the credits that I listed for you, the regional theater is what came first before you hit Broadway? Yes, absolutely. And so that's where you cut your teeth?
1: Yeah, I think my path, if I were following the kinds of theaters I began in, College theater. summer stock. I did two summers of summer stock, which is doing a number of shows very quickly. Right. Often some nice space in New England, but often it's elsewhere. <laughs> and then a series of regional shows and off-Broadway shows. And when did you think to yourself, I've made it? I have a number of those moments. Share some of them. The first time I felt like I had made it was when I had a mug in the rehearsal room with my name on it. <laughs> So, oh, now I'm really working on the show, mm-hmm. and that was also the first show where my name was in the program. Ah, uh, that's I said, oh, big. I've made yes, it. it was an off-Broadway show, and mm-hmm. my name was there. Mm-hmm. And then I did an off-Broadway show where my name was on the front page, and I was the music director of an off-Broadway show, and I felt I had made it. And then what else? So many moments like that. It never really stops mm-hmm. because I think we all dream quite vividly when we're in this business. It's not just a dream of winning a Tony. It's a dream of being at a publicity event. It's a dream of doing all sorts of other things we see happening, saying, I want to get there. And then every time you get to one of those moments, it is a moment of saying, I've made it. So performing on the Tony Awards, walking into my dressing room for the first time at the Barrymore with the band's visit, Mm -hmm. having single line billing on the program for the first time, having this show will be conducted or this performance will be conducted by Andrea Grody outside the theater, having my name outside the theater, yeah, there's so many of them.
0: And how does that work? For eight performances a week, how many of them are you working?
1: The average would probably be seven.
0: Oh, my gosh. And then the
1: eighth performance, I sit out in the house and I take notes. I conducted the first couple months of band's visit without taking a break because I'm not used to subbing out. On Broadway, there's a much larger culture of people coming in and out of shows because people have other gigs. Mm-hmm. It's a longer running process.
0: And there's more of a sharing. Is that fair?
1: Yes. And it's also you're you're maintaining a long-term project mm-hmm. versus an off-Broadway show where it's just the team that's there and you're not expecting to leave. And The Band's Visit on Broadway was my first commercial show of any kind.
0: And that had quite a run.
1: It did. It ran for a long time. I was with the show for 10 and a half months once we opened. Is that considered long? I don't know. I'm not really sure who's deciding. Okay. (laughs) It was a long enough time that I did the band's visit hundreds of times, Mm -hmm. over 300 times, I think somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And there are certainly people who have run shows for longer. The fact that I didn't hit a year, perhaps, you know, if you go out on tour, people often do a year. So that's a pretty standard amount. So I, I guess I wouldn't say it's a long time, but it was much longer than anything I had ever done before.
0: Let's use that as a for instance. So there you are working at the band's visit. So what happens?
1: Do you have an agent? I do now. A lot of music directors do not have agents because actors and writers and directors often get work through agents. Music directors tend to get work through their collaborators. So the connections I meet through an agent aren't the ones that are necessarily going to get me work. Explain who's your collaborator. The composer mainly, sometimes the director. When you got the band's visit... Was that
0: a I died-and-gone-to-heaven moment?
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell you everything that happened from the moment I got the phone call about the job to the moment that I got the job and several moments afterwards. Go for
0: it. But I'm going to ask you a question you might not want sure. to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How old were you when that happened?
1: I was 26.
0: I mean, that's pretty freaking young.
1: Um, I was very young.
0: All right. So then what happened when the phone rang?
1: So I got a phone call the day before Yom Kippur <laughs> from <laughs> Dean Chernow who is my co-supervisor on both The Band's Visit and Tootsie, a longtime collaborator of David Yazbeck's. We had done The Fortress of Solitude together at the Public Theater in 2014.
0: David Yazbeck is huge.
1: Oh, yeah. So Dean called me and said, I'm working on this new show with David Yazbeck, and I think you might be a good fit for it to music direct. It's a long shot, but if you meet him and knock it out of the park, I think it might work out are you interested? I said, yes, of course, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, and he told well, me. we uh-huh. talked for a couple minutes about what the project was. And my longtime goal had been to be an associate music director on Broadway by the time I was 28.
0: And you're 26. I'm
1: 26. An and is... associate
0: is not part of the job title. Correct. Mm-hmm. So we
1: get to the end of this conversation. In my mind, I'm already thinking this is too big for me. I'm mm, not ready for this. I'm not worthy. And at the end of the conversation, I said, if music director doesn't work out, do you think there would be an associate position? And Dean said, I don't think you're an associate music director anymore. And I think a lot of people have a moment like that where someone else said, I see who you are and what you can be. And I said, okay. And a couple days went by. I was doing a show in Virginia, so I said I can come to New York on a Monday. And we were about to go into tech, so I figured it would maybe be a couple weeks from now. And that Saturday, Dean called and said, can you come up to meet Yazbek on Monday? (laughs) And I think my response was yes. And he said, you sound hesitant. And I said, no, I I can do it. Well, I'm not around the corner, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So we Uh hang up and I spend the next 48 hours in tech booking my train and preparing like mad for this meeting because this is the biggest meeting of my life. I called a friend and I said, I have a meeting with David Yazbek on Monday. And they said, who is that? And I said, you're the wrong person. I hung up and called someone else. And I said, I have a meeting with David Yazbek on Monday. He went, oh my God. And I said, thank you. (laughs) So this was crazy. I prepared, I prepared, I prepared. And how did you prepare? What did that involve? The best piece of advice I ever got from someone was when you are meeting a collaborator, you are selling them their show. So at a certain level, it's not a question of who has the most skill because everybody is skilled. But we're all skilled in different ways and we're all different artists. So what you need to tell someone if you're collaborating with them is that you share their vision or you complement their vision. And
0: how did you know what his vision was? I
1: didn't. But if I didn't know it, I was not the right person. It's similar for actors as well. There are so many talented actors. It's not always about casting the best person. It's about casting the right, right person, person. Mm-hmm. who sees something that you didn't see mm-hmm. or who sees the right thing for whatever you're trying to make. So I watched – on the day before Yom Kippur, I got this phone call, and on Yom Kippur, <laughs> I watched the movie, which I remember, because that's a good way to mm-hmm, be mm-hmm. a good Jew on Yom Kippur is watch a movie <laughs> set in Israel. Exactly. So I listened to Yazbek's music that already existed. I watched the movie, and I thought about – why it would make a good musical. And I just talked out loud to myself for a long time about what I thought made it suit the stage Mm -hmm. and what I knew of the project and why I thought it would work and why I thought my skills could support that. Mm -hmm. And whatever I did, I guess, was the right thing.
0: What do you think was going through his head? You're young and you do have a resume, so I'm not at all being dismissive of that. I guess the word that's coming to mind, although it's not accurate, but you can correct me and give me the right word, is novice. Novice in the sense of Broadway big time. Why do you think he agreed to see you or wanted to see you?
1: I think that Dean made a good case for me. And past that, I don't know. I think Yazbek is a very open collaborator Mm -hmm. and is eager to hear other people's ideas. That's great. And if someone he trusted said... You should meet Yeah, he's this not going to suffer
0: fools gladly. Exactly. exactly. All right, so take us we meet him. How so was that?
1: We met. I wasn't sure how it went, but looking back, I can remember a couple moments where <laughs> I said the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the moments. And I'm curious if he if he remembered this, what he would think. But I remember a few moments where I said I had the right vision. Mm-hmm. I saw what he wanted to make. I saw what the show was. And how f-
0: long before this show was going to be mounted, was that interview?
1: It was in September, I think, the end of September 2015. And they were planning a production the spring of 2016 at The Atlantic.
0: So that was off-Broadway? Yes. And so when did you actually start to work on the production?
1: I got the job a week and a half after that meeting, which was somewhere around October 10th. Not right, exactly. I right. think it might have been the 7th. Mm-hmm. If I, I probably remember. <laughs> it's not
0: tattooed on your arm so no, it's not. <laughs> I, I know exactly what day of the week it was. But
1: <laughs> um, and I first met the rest of the team in person at the end of November. Mm-hmm. And the first reading where actors sang the music was in January. At the end of November, I went to a reading where Yazbek played demos. He makes very full demos of his music. Mm-hmm. So people read the script and we listened to the music there. And then we did a full reading where the actors sang as well. And we had some live musicians at the beginning of January. And then the show changed directors and we got delayed. So I had more time to meet the team and work with them over the months leading up to that.
0: What was your role specifically?
1: From the beginning of my work, mm-hmm. I transcribed all the music. So Yazbek makes demos of his songs, but mm-hmm. he doesn't write them down. So I listened to the demos and I wrote down what the You music transcribed was. it. I transcribed mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. I taught the music to the actors by sitting at a piano with them, plunking out what the notes are, Mm -hmm. having them sing Sing along with you. And then if Uh. things come up where what I've written doesn't suit what they're doing, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel right, the key's not right, something's going on, we address it. Okay. It's not always straightforward because music is not as simple as speaking and speaking itself isn't that simple either. Right.
0: Have you ever bumped heads?
1: Yes, we have disagreed. Okay, that's a better word. But one of the great things about the band's visit is that we were all making the same piece. We always knew what the show was, and Mm -hmm. we were all trying to make that show.
0: You were all headed in the same direction. Is that something that doesn't happen often?
1: It often does not. It often does, because Uh at this level, we should all be on the same page. Uh But what I was saying about meeting a collaborator, Mm -hmm. where you have to see that you have the same vision— that's a tricky thing. And sometimes you're working with someone who you've worked with a lot before, and they don't necessarily have the same vision as you on whatever the piece is. Mm-hmm. The band's visit, as it ended up being off Broadway and Broadway, floated and balanced. And the reason it was able to do that was because everybody making it saw what it was, knew what it was, and worked together and trusted each other to work right. together toward that vision.
0: Right. As evident by the fact that it had quite a run and it walked off with 10 Tony Indeed. Awards. Have you ever been in a position where you thought, uh, uh, this is a mistake as far as you were concerned?
1: That I shouldn't have worked on it? That you that... think that,
0: not that I'm incapable of doing it, but this is not going to work for me.
1: Where I felt this was the wrong career choice. Or or the wrong project. I don't know if I've ever done a show where I felt I couldn't do it. I have But been... you might have
0: not agreed with that same vision
1: I have worked on shows where I felt I was not on board. Mm -hmm. I remember a particular project that will go unnamed. It was a short Mm -hmm. workshop, but I thought it was very interesting. And it was early on, so it had a lot of work to be done. Mm -hmm. But I really thought it could go somewhere. And over this short period of time, I just noticed the change within myself as I watched it get run into the ground. The vision wasn't there or whatever they were working toward was not where I felt the promise was. And I noticed near the end that I stopped caring. I stopped being invested in what was happening in the room, and I said, "You were well, this phoning is not it in? the right spot for me.
0: So what was it like for you to be approached for Tootsie, which is a Bafo mega musical? And it's probably, I, I'm assuming, the biggest project you've ever worked on. Definitely. How did that happen, and how are you handling it?
1: <laughs> David Yazbek called me and said, want to music director, Tootsie? <laughs> and he actually called me while I was on vacation in Hawaii on top of a volcano. So... <laughs> I believe the conversation was something like, you're in Hawaii. Yes. You're on a volcano. Yes. And you said to him, at least I'm not in Virginia. You know, I mean, I'd rather be in Hawaii. And he uh-huh. said, want to music direct Tootsie? And I said, oh, my God, yes. But then the phone disconnected because I was on top of a volcano. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh,
0: good for you that so, you didn't fall in.
1: So I, <laughs> I would have tripped and fallen down. <laughs> so I, t- I texted him and I said, I'll call you later. <laughs> but that was, that was it. And I was on vacation, so it wasn't real. I was yeah. with my two friends yeah. in the middle of nowhere. And I yeah. said, well— That's a huge change in my life that just happened.
0: When you go from project to project,
1: are there times when you're not working? Absolutely.
0: And that's okay because then you can do your own
1: thing? I've been doing it long enough to know that there will always be something. Uh Uh-huh. And there was a key moment of insecurity, I suppose is the word, when I stopped doing music associate work or... Assistant work, which is copy work, the way I came into the industry working with Michael Friedman especially was being at the computer, tracking changes in the scores, more of an administrative role. Though there's, A little drudgy? I actually really enjoyed it, okay. but it's not... It's not a career path right now. Okay. It actually is a highly skilled job, and it should be a career path for certain people, but it's often an entry-level position. Mm -hmm. But it requires a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. So I'm now a huge advocate for this position and for people who hold this position, that they be well-treated and respected and that people understand the level of what they do. Either way, when I decided I'd been doing it long enough that I was too good at it, and if I wanted to do other things I needed to stop, I had a moment where— I knew where I could get work before, and then I wasn't necessarily going to get work from the same place or in the same way. Yeah, it was given before. Yeah, I wasn't sure how that was going to turn out. And luckily, it didn't last too long. I worked a little bit less that year than I had in previous years, but at a level that was different. And then the band's visit happened.
0: Yeah, wow. There was really no gap. Between The Band's Visit and Tootsie. There was
1: the opposite of a gap. They overlap a lot. Yeah, I bet. Is it
0: kind of like dancing as fast as you can? I mean, what is that experience like when it's just so big, so intense? Tootsie? Yeah.
1: It's really fun. The Band's Visit was a very complicated show. As my first big show, it was unusual, and it was the right fit for me. In ways that I didn't realize until later, the band's visit was the right show for who I am mm-hmm. as an artist, mm-hmm. which was nice. It all, it worked out, I think, that way with everybody on the production. It was the right fit for everybody. But I'm good at unusual situations. Mm-hmm. The musicians were on stage a lot of the time. They had to run on and off. They had costumes. They were essentially actors. Right, right. not your typical Broadway not show. Not at all. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I learned about how Broadway works, which is very complicated and a lot I didn't know, was on top of the fact that the show itself had several unusual things right. about it. Tootsie is a big show and I learned a lot about dance arranging and having a show with a principal principal cast and your chorus and your understudies and your swings in a more straightforward way than Band's Visit did because we didn't have a traditional ensemble, just a very different experience. Yes, Tootsie yes. is more your standard Broadway musical in that way. And there's
0: just so much going on. When I think of the band's visit, it's calming in a sense. Not that Tootsie is fraught. It's just a lot going on, you Mm -hmm. know. And how big is the orchestra? 19. And that's big, isn't it? It is
1: very big. Well, I feel it's very big. The orchestras of old were often much larger than 20. You would get into the 20s, into the 30s even. That's much less common now. Nineteen is very big for today's standards.
0: I was going to say because it's not cheap to put on a
1: musical. That's true. And isn't it funny that we say that having a lot of musicians is what makes a show expensive and not having a fancy set, not having a large yeah, cast. Yeah, I mean, Why I bet that that's where you the resent that. The yeah. mm-hmm. is where we're allowed to cut because people feel because they don't. Know. And this is I've become a big advocate for music departments because it's hard to understand. We began by saying, what do I do? And there's so much I haven't even addressed that is complicated from show to show. And because we don't understand it, we have a hard time connecting to it and putting a finger on what it is that makes it work. As a result, it feels dispensable.
0: So give some examples of that.
1: You can say, okay, this show had 20 musicians. Can you do it with 14? And I can say, you can get something, but it won't be the same. And they say, why? And it's hard to explain. I can tell you, well, if you have two violinists versus having five violinists, you're not going to get the sound of an ensemble. And Mm -hmm. people say, I don't know what that means. Explain it better or I will not listen to you.
0: And who is asking you to do that?
1: The people who are overseeing a vision and are not necessarily trained in music. Someone Mm -hmm. once said musical theater critics are the only people who are not educated in the field They're writing about. (laughs) They're writing about because Uh they may know theater, but a lot of them don't know music. And some do. Some Mm -hmm. really do. Some speak very intelligently about Mm -hmm. music, but a lot don't.
0: You know, musicians are in a union and Mm -hmm. it's not inexpensive to mount a musical. And as a theater goer, when I look at at the audience around me, I see too much of me.
1: Yes, I completely agree. And
0: it's really tough because who's going to replace me? yeah. And then, of course, when you spend that those kind of bucks, and, well, that wasn't worth it.
1: But the problem is that you feel you needed to choose one. We should be able to see something that's not good and say, well, that wasn't worth it for whatever. It wasn't a great experience, but it was still worth my time exposing myself to culture. I love seeing shows that I don't like and understanding why I don't like them and questioning what I didn't like. Some of the shows I've hated most, I'm most happy to have seen – because the strength of my feeling and what I got so angry about informs how I make things later. That's a really good point. And how I see things later. The problem is that we feel we have to choose. You can only pick one. How can you know what the right one is if you don't get to see things on a regular basis? That's
0: that's and exactly the, the right. the prohibitive
1: cost is a real problem, and I don't know what the solution is. But it's definitely something people are aware of and talk about. And I don't know where the solution lies in commercial theater, in nonprofit theater. It's a But it's a larger conversation of how do we support live performance as a part of our culture that people should be spending money on and should feel excited to spend money on while not feeling like they can't afford it.
0: The other thing that I think about a lot is revivals. There's a generation out there that never saw All My Sons or never saw My Fair Lady. But are they ubiquitous because they're safe?
1: I think there's two sides to it. One is that they're safe. People know what they are. They're excited about them. Mm -hmm. They're excited to see them. They're excited to know that the show is already good. Also, the people who are making them are interested in them because they're the works they know and they want to reinvent them or they want to revisit them. Mm -hmm. We like going to revivals because we love those shows. Yeah, And people like doing revivals because they love those shows. Yes,
0: they're part of our past.
1: Everyone has a dream of the role they want to play. And it's hard to dream about a role that doesn't exist yet. And people still Mm. do. But it's easier to dream about a role that you see and you say, I want to do that thing. And a lot of people, I think, come to roles that they've always jumped about in revival. The key thing about a revival, as is true of a new play as well, is that you're doing it now. And the question always has to be, what are we getting from this now? And there are a lot of possible answers to that question, but you can never take the experience of a piece of theater away from the day that it was performed, the year that it was performed it's always a product of its era.
0: right? And right. the
1: era in which you see it is the, the day that you saw it. Right. So the question of why now is essential. And a lot of times people hear that question and they go, well, you know, like, it doesn't have to be, they end up feeling like you have to force it into the current cultural conversation, especially today when the cultural conversation changes every 48 hours. Mm-hmm. But the reality is if I see a revival tonight I'm seeing it tonight, Mm -hmm. and I tonight, this person who I am today, this evening, I'm going to see that show, and I'm going to see it through the lens of where my day was, where my year was, where the world is right now.
0: I would be remiss if I didn't ask this political question of you. Is there any kind of resentment about the fact that you're female?
1: If I have had issues, it has generally been more that I've been young and not that I've been a woman. I
0: was thinking about that, too. And maybe Uh
1: that is because I have chosen to see it that way, Hmm. but I find... That saying this is happening because I'm a woman is never the right place to start because that doesn't give me anything to do. What That's do you mean just by that? who I am. If I'm in an interaction with someone and it's not going well and I say they're treating me badly because I'm a woman, what am I supposed to do about that? Not be a woman anymore? Mm-hmm. It's better for me to say, here's. Joe. Mm -hmm, And I'm mm -hmm, Andrea. mm -hmm, Random mm -hmm. Joe person. yep. There's a Joe on my show. It's not him. (laughs) Random Joe, who I'm talking to, and me. And we're disagreeing about something. I have to say, hello, this is Joe. And Mm -hmm. I am Andrea. Mm -hmm. What's going on right now? Whatever is happening between the two of us is an interaction between two people. And we are different in many ways. Perhaps we are different because you are from Iowa and I am from Connecticut. Or perhaps we're different because... You grew up in a large family and I grew up in a small family. Who knows? There are so many ways in which we differ. And the ones that we choose are the ones that are most visible and most talked about. Age, gender, race, all those things. And I'm not saying they're not relevant. Mm. But it's better to see the complexity when you're dealing with individuals and figure out a solution that way. At least I find that gives me more to work with to solve problems. If I'm not having a good interaction with someone and every time I work with someone, if I give them a note – And they take it well or they don't take it well. I say, how could I have done that better? And that's always a question of saying, how can I interact as well as possible with this person in this moment?
0: Were you born with this or did you hone this? I mean, there's a lot of wisdom coming at it from you.
1: Thank you. I I do think that that's just part of who I am, but also I've honed it for a long time.
0: And it's worked for you.
1: It's worked pretty well.
0: I mean, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm thinking, you got to make some changes in your life, woman.
1: (laughs) I'm. I'm a, I. I think a lot about the way I interact with people because that's. That's what it is. That's what our work is. It's I bet you bring some people. kind of
0: a refreshing approach to this by virtue of your age.
1: I think so. I hope so.
0: What do you like about Tootsie?
1: People laugh. They laugh and they laugh and they laugh. And it's so fun to do a show where people just release all of that internal positive energy in ways that they're not necessarily controlling. Mm -hmm. It's not polite laughter. Mm -hmm. It's belly laughter that comes from a place inside you that you don't really control. So the sounds people make are maybe not sounds they would think are pretty. It's very exposed. It's very raw. And that's so delightful to experience, just to be in a room every day, Where everyone is just releasing joy from within themselves. I was worried doing The Band's Visit, which was my longest run ever, that I was going to get bored. And I never got bored. Okay. It can be boring to watch a show over and over. I'm not sure how many times I'm going to want to watch Tootsie, but I don't know if I'm going to get tired of playing Tootsie because I'm part of it. I'm participating. When would
0: you be watching Tootsie? When I
1: take notes, if I sit in the house and I'm listening. When you're not. When I'm not conducting. When you're not
0: conducting. I'll be sitting
1: and I'll be listening because it sounds very different when you're sitting in the audience than it does when I'm sitting at the pit. Are there a lot of notes to take? There are some. You know, as the show runs Mm -hmm. over time, there will be things that shift in small ways. Nuanced? Yeah, nuanced things. Mm -hmm. Just places. Yesterday, I gave someone a note where I said, this word is actually a little hard to understand. A lot of what I do is just make sure the audience can understand the words. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, can you just make sure to put a strong consonant at the end of this word, stuff Uh like that, because the audience is hearing it for the first time. And you have to remember that even though you've done it over 100 times or over 200 times or more.
0: I have a couple more questions. We're running out of time, but I would be really remiss because I made a comment in the introduction. What the hell is an incidental arranger? I will
1: tell you. So when you see a musical, there are songs and there's a lot of other music that happens. There's the music that happens during a dance sequence. Right. That's what the dance arranger does. They take the melody that the composer wrote, and then they work with the choreographer to craft music that is the song but also suits whatever story the choreographer is trying to tell. Mm -hmm. Then at the end of a song, there's a playoff, or there's a moment within a song where there's a scene, or there's a transition that goes from one moment to the other. And the dance arranger on this show, David Chase, who's a genius, and we could have a whole conversation about dance arranging and how significant it is in ways I didn't realize till I did this show. He has done some of that because it's within the choreography and there are moments where I've done a lot of it because we're going from song to song. Or like there's one of my favorite pieces of incidental music in this show is a scene within the song Who Are You? And the song goes on and then they talk for 10 seconds. And I wrote that little piece of music. And it feels like it's part of the song, but It gives you the right energy for what they're talking about. It matches the story. Mm -hmm. And that I wrote. There's a moment at the end of the show where they sing a song and then it's morning. And I wrote this little piece of morning music. Mm -hmm. That's what the incidental music is. I did it on this show because that was how it happened. We would be there and they'd say we need music there and I would do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I guess I'm the incidental arranger now. Which (laughs) is the funny thing we were saying at the beginning. Does it feel weird to hear all the titles? The title is a way for the rest of the world to understand the experience I lived. That's which a very was good point. Yeah. sitting in the room. The where The scene happens. is going to go into the morning. And I'll say, well, why don't we do this? Bling, 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 bling. And I'll say, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. That was it. The moment just happened. Now I'm the incidental arranger. It's funny putting a fancy word on the casual experience of us all making something together. Yeah.
0: I, and for the uninitiated, what would you like to do that you haven't done?
1: Hmm. I would love to do a show where I have a, a small part— Not necessarily being an actor on stage. I don't know if that's in my future. We'll see. I know some music directors who have ended up in positions like that. And we'll see. But did you see SpongeBob SquarePants? I did not. The conductor of SpongeBob SquarePants had so many fun things to do props were handed to her. She handed props out. There's a moment in the show where they say, look down, and they shine a spotlight on her hands, and she's showing what's happening. I love games like that. Mm -hmm. I I love being involved. I love wearing a costume on stage. Mm -hmm. Things like that. I would love to do something like that. I'm interested in orchestrating a show at some point. I think I'm doing what I want to do, which is music directing. A lot of people music direct to allow them to compose, which is their main dream. Mm -hmm. And I like composing, but this is what I want to do. So there's More to expand outward to fill in this experience of having the music tell the story. And I think I'm interested in reaching to all ends of that. The more creative and involved I am in telling the story, the happier I am. So just discovering what that is in every possible capacity as time goes on.
0: Do you think you have a show in your guts? I have a show
1: I've wanted to write for a while. and. I will not name it because I would have to get the rights for it, but it's been a dream project of mine for a long time and I would need the time away from what I'm doing now to focus on it. But I hope that show is in my future because Well, I if think it is you it come be back and we talk about it. That's yes, for please. damn sure.
0: Do you feel like you have a life?
1: I do. I haven't for a little bit because mm-hmm. the past— Because it's new. —two months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when a show is new. There, I mean, when we're in tech and previews, there is Hello. no other yeah. time. Yeah, But I I found my life around it. You're living the dream, huh? When I was younger, I idolized a lot of people. It was a way of protecting myself from feeling insecure hmm. by saying people are so much more than me. Hmm. It gave me I'm the not freedom worthy. to separate. Maybe. Or just giving myself the freedom not to have to stand up to something. Mm-hmm. And as I reached levels where I was working with people who I saw as stars and idols, you have to dull it down a little bit and say, oh, of course, here's this famous person. Here's that famous person. You he have puts to make on it
0: one, his pants one leg at a time. Yeah, you yeah. have to make
1: it ordinary. And the challenge of working at this level is balancing out that necessity of doing the day-to-day of, you know, here's the celebrity I work with and I have to give him a note before the show. Mm. and We're equals. We're equals. But also – We're here because we all dreamt as (laughs) eight-year-olds of doing this. Mm, And it's so magical. That's exactly right. And someone told me once about Times Square. They said, whenever you're feeling frustrated with the tourists, remember that people dream their entire lives of coming here. And it's so important to remember what it is like to see this for the first time, to discover it for the first time. When people come backstage at the stage door and they go, wow, I'm on a Broadway (laughs) stage. I'm at a theater. (laughs) It's so ordinary to me, it's where I work, but it's not ordinary to everybody else. That's right. And that's what theater is all about. They're seeing it for the first time. So keeping that experience part of your everyday life is essential to what we do. And that's the daily practice of it.
0: I think that's the perfect way to end with uh, that wisdom and insight. Andrea... What a treat for me. It was just terrific getting to meet you and getting to know you. I learned so much in the time that we spent together.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Sandy.
0: Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein.